You are listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. In the chapter we're going to read today in Song of Songs, chapter 4, we're actually going to see what happens on the honeymoon night, on the wedding night uh, in this play, this this ancient musical um, attributed to Solomon in the Song of Songs. And when you think about it, you know, this is kind of based on uh, you know, ancient Jewish weddings. And I'm no expert, but I've read up on some of the, uh, the culture the, that took place then. And in these ancient Jewish weddings, and the groom would stand on the right side, and uh, the 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 uh, the bride would stand on the left, and as they made their commitments and everything um, with an official of some kind, a rabbi or a, a teacher or the 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 patriarch of the family, um, all this w- was taking place in this this great feast type atmosphere. Like there's all these family members and friends, like everyone comes together for the wedding feast, right? And the the reason the groom stood on the right side, uh, as I understand it, is in case there were any attackers that showed up, his sword arm would be free. Now, if you think about it in these ancient cultures, what a great time for bandits to, 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 to raid, right? Because there's a bunch of people there. There's a, It's a wedding feast. There's gifts that have been brought. So, so it would make sense that this would be part of the uh, traditional culture. And here's the thing, though. After they made the covenant... They turned and faced the family and friends in the room. And this is very similar to how we do weddings today in our culture. Um, his sword arm now has turned towards his wife. And the, the implication is his sword arm is tied up in marriage. So it became the role of those gathered there together to defend this couple against any attackers. In other words, it's symbolic for saying, we are in this together. We are going to protect your relationship. We're going to protect your marriage from anything that would attack it. And so all this took place under this canopy, and this canopy was on these four poles was this uh, Jewish prayer shawl called a talit, and it was traditionally probably the, the, the husband's, the groom's prayer shawl, and it was over the talit, and the, the prayer shawl represented the covering of God, like God is over this. And so uh, this whole ceremony took place under this hoopah, it's called hoopah, and then when the, when the ceremony ended, they would take the poles with the hoopah, with the, the prayer shawl still on top, with the talit still attached, this hoopah, and they would take it into the bridal chamber. Now, this all would take place typically in the groom's family's, like on on the property, like in the backyard, like a backyard barbecue wedding, right? And in those days, you didn't really get married and go off on a honeymoon and go off and and, and start your own household with your own home and everything. You actually, the, the, you know, families stayed together and passed down from generation to generation farms and, and, and working with flocks like cattle or, or, or sheep, obviously. And so the, the, the new bride and groom typically would have a room in the house of his family. Like he is going to continue now with the family business and he's going to start raising his family along with the family that that's, he's a part of. And this was how it's done. Uh, and so the bridal chamber was going to be their room. And it's called the bridal chamber that night because this is the night he takes in his bride and they consummate the marriage. Now, here's what's happening. They take the hoopah into the bridal chamber and they place it on the four posts of the bed. So so what is now the the 
the vows they've made, the covenant they've made under the covering of God, now they consummate in the marriage bed under the covering of God. It's considered to be this holy moment. And the kicker is everybody else waits outside. <laughs> like everybody else is outside waiting because this is going to be a feast. It could be a day, three days, seven days. It could be, you know, a week-long feast depending on who the family was and how, you know, if they were wealthy or had a lot of friends or, or, or whatever. And so, you know, <laughs> so they consummate the marriage in in the like immediately in the bridal chamber under the hoopah, under the covering of God with everyone else waiting outside, waiting for the feast to be waiting for the party to begin, really. And what this shows us is that the ancient gift of lovemaking or the gift of lovemaking, which is from ancient times. It's an incredibly significant event in consummating a marriage back then, but it still is today. It's with this understanding that this is a significant event in consummating marriage that we want to study today God's Word and what it has to say to us about great sex. Okay, right? We're going to have a sermon. This is, this is the sermon on what God's Word says about great sex. So we're in week three of our series sex, love, and devotion. Like, what does it take to build godly relationships? And we've been talking about that. And and you didn't think, you know, you know we've been talking about the love and devotion part that, that leads up to matrimony. You didn't think we were going to leave out sex, right? <laughs> so a big part of having godly relationships is living in, by God's standards, not the culture standards. And not what we feel is right, but what God's word says is right. So this is, how, if you want to have godly relationships, if you want to, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you would say, I want to be more like Jesus, and I want to have godly relationships. Well, our relationships get to have to be built on God's standards and not what we feel is right, but what He says is right. And so one of those standards is, is this. Sex can be one of the greatest blessings of the, in the covenant of marriage, but it can, also, it can also be a great point of tension. So let's dig into this a little more today. And we're in Song of Songs, chapter 4. And remember, this is a play that's acted out between the characters. And today, that's the young man who will be the bride, and I mean the groom, sorry, and the young lady who will be the, the bride. And so this is their discourse. And mostly it's him in chapter 4. He says, You are beautiful, my darling, beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves beyond, behind the, your veil. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are as white as sheep, recently shorn and freshly washed. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with its twin. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting. Your your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck is the be- is as beautiful as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. Your breasts are like two fawns, the twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. Before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee, I will hurry to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling, beautiful in every way. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Come down from Mount Amana, from the peaks of Sinir and Hermon, where the lions have their dens and the leopards live among the hills. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace." Your your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine, your perfume more fragrant than spices. Your lips are as sweet as nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. <laughs> 
Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates and rare spices, henna with nard, nard and saffron, fragrant calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, and every other lovely spice. You are a garden fountain, a well of fresh water, streaming down from Lebanon's mountains. And the young woman replies, Awake, north wind, rise up, south wind, blow on my garden and spread its fragrance all around. Come into your garden, my love, taste its finest fruits. Woo! <laughs> so today our big idea is this. Sex is good, and it is fun, and it's also intended to be holy and is reserved for the context of marriage. This is kind of where we're going to come at this from today. Um, as a follower of Christ who wants to be more like Jesus, who wants to have godly relationships, and wants to have a godly marriage, here's the big idea in that context. Sex is good and it is fun, but it's also intended to be holy and is reserved for the context of marriage. So today I'm going to give you three, three, six, how do you say three? Six thoughts about great sex from Scripture. And I guess my mind works in threes. Uh, it's kind of trained that way. So it was, here's two sets of three, I guess. Six thoughts about great sex from Scripture. First one is this. Great sex starts before the bedroom. Great sex starts before the bedroom. If you're my age or maybe you've just, you just listened to some oldies, you know there's a song Stevie Wonder had out in the 80s, and it said, No New Year's Day to celebrate, no chocolate-covered candy hearts to give away, no first of spring, no song to sing. In fact, here's just another ordinary day I just called to say I love you. See, what, what the song is about is there's no special occasion. It's not your birthday. It's not Valentine's Day. It's not our anniversary. There's no, It's just another ordinary day. I just called to say I love you. And the mindset here is this understanding and the reality that great sex starts before the bedroom. Because how would you feel like to just get a call on just an ordinary day? just to say I love you. I mean, how would that make you feel? And, and, and you would probably, like me, it would probably make you feel, wow, I feel really good right now. I really appreciate this person. I'm really encouraged by them. I'm really connected with this person who is uh, my, my lover, my, my spouse. Hopefully this is my spouse doing this, right? So the guy in the song, he gets this. He courts her. He encourages her. He doesn't even lay a finger on her until verse 11, okay? This is depicting the, 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 the honeymoon night. and, and you know, He didn't even touch her until verse 11. First one, he says, How beautiful are you? Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair a flock of goats descending Mount Gilead. And I always laugh thinking about, you know, what a compliment. I mean, your hair is like a flock of goats. Uh, <laughs> but these goats are specific goats, and they're well known throughout the region at this time for this to be the most absolute beautiful long-haired goats there were. And so this beautiful goat uh, hair is what he's saying, comparing her to. And um, really what he's saying, you know, by saying your hair is like a flock of goats, uh, he's what he's saying is is that you know your hair is on fleek, girl. That's Hebrew for your hair is on fleek. Um, it's fierce. You're looking fierce right now. In verse two, he says your teeth are a flock of sheep coming up from washing. Each one has its twin. He's like, baby, you got all your teeth. This is great. And in a, and in an age before dentists, this was an accomplishment. Now, right? The thing. This is this is ancient ancient uh, artwork that we're listening to or, or reading together and, and and 
you know, he says, you got all your teeth. That's quite an accomplishment. You're beautiful. Verse three, he says, your lips are scarlet ribbon and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are pomegranates. See, this is before the invention of Botox. Okay. This is like, like you're flushed. You're red with excitement. You're red with passion. He's, he's saying, you know, he's using words to, to encourage her, to, to, to invest in her. He's just calling to say, I love you. So for all of us, there's some practical ways we can fill each other's love tank. And I, I would admit this would go more for husbands. This is how you can fill your, your wife's emotional love tank. And if you're not married yet, take note of this for, for the future. Okay. Um, and, but this could go both ways, but mostly I, 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 I will, I would admit this is mostly talking to the guys on this one right here. You can fill your lovers, your your spouse's emotional love tank by number one, speaking and listening sincerely. Speaking and listening sincerely. Listen to them. You know, pay attention to them. Um, speak, speak uh, uh, sincerely and listen sincerely. That's that'll go a long way in feeling her emotional love tank. Number two is doing the little things, and they may these may be things that you're, uh, you're like, man, this is nothing. Uh, you know. Uh, to do this for her, it's a, that's nothing. It's, that's such a little thing. But to her, it's probably a big thing. Maybe it's something like making the bed in the morning, or maybe it's something like um, changing the diaper uh, of the baby, or, or uh, you know, feeding the dog, or or, or or making breakfast for her, or, or making dinner, or you know, something. You know, these things that come. That's just a little thing. Doing the t- dishes, you know, taking the dishes and putting them in the dishwasher. Are putting away the dishes once they're clean. You know, you you could come up with this, but they're these things are like they're little things. But to her, but but in the context of the relationship, these little things are big to her. And the third one, I would say this: non-sexual touching. It does exist. <laughs> it is a real thing. Non-sexual touching. Husbands, really, really, you can feel your spouses. You can feel your wife's emotional love tank. If you will learn the importance of non-sexual touching. Okay? And so, great sex starts before the bedroom. That's where we're getting at hit here. Now, 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 great sex is also tender. And we see this illustrated by the, the mention of the two fawns in this. And if you can imagine two fawns. Two little fawns are these baby deer, right? Uh, two, two little you know, little cute deer. Two beautiful, cute little deer that are out here. And there's nothing more tender than, than two. When you read this, this passage, you're like, man, there's nothing more tender than that. Two fawns grazing among the lilies. So if you're a hunter, if you know anybody who's a hunter, and, and in Louisiana here where, where Awakened Church is, I mean, we got hunters, our culture is, is kind of like invested in hunting for sure. And so if you're a deer hunter, how would you approach a deer? Okay, if you if there's a deer now, you're probably not hunting fawns. At least we hope not. But 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 <laughs> but if you would approach a deer, you would do it gently. You would do it tenderly, even even quietly. I mean, you wouldn't go, you know, you know. Hey guys, look at those look at those fawns. <laughs> you wouldn't yell out, look at those fawns. I mean, that's uh I mean that's how we kinda are with this though. When you say you know, your breasts are like two fawns uh browsing among the lilies. When we would see something like when he sees the two fawns, we would be like, Wow, look at that. And he's and he's like, you know, we well, gotta be more tender than that, okay? Here's the key to tenderness, okay? Here's the here's the real key to tenderness. Always respect your spouse. Always respect your significant other. 
Always respect. That goes both ways. Male, female, husband, and wife. Respect each other. What that means is if your spouse is uncomfortable with something, you don't push them into doing something that makes them feel uncomfortable or used. You don't push them into that. If, if it's something you're interested in and they're not, you need to talk about it and you need to work it out. But you do not say, if you love me, you would. Never use that kind of battle war language. Great, because great sex is tender. And you always respect your spouse. Great sex is also passionate, and that should go without saying, probably. Um, you think of you know, great sex is probably the first thing you think of is romance and passion. Um, you know, Shelly and I were on a cruise a few years ago. And it was it was this great time we had. We were able to take this. I think it was like a uh, like a week long seven day cruise and to the Bahamas, which we love. And um, it's the only time we've been able to go just us since we've had kids to do something like this. We've had a few weekends here or there, or a week during the summer when we had just one boy, uh, one child. But but since we've had three. Um, this doesn't happen. And, um, you know, this was a time when our, uh, our oldest Christian was a teenager and Jericho was three and Niall was two. And we had these three boys and we had, you know, we were exhausted and we we're pastoring and we we're working and we have kids, we have school stuff all the time. There's school stuff. And then you've got a bit two under four. So you're pot, trying to potty train and do all that stuff that you do with a three-year-old and a two-year-old. And we were just tired and it happened. It just so happened. We were able to take a cruise. It just, things just fell in place for us and uh, that's a whole other story but but the, but the cool thing was we were able to go on this cruise and it was in the summer and it was just this time of or well, it was in the late spring actually but 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 here's the thing was there when you go on a cruise there's a lot of times there's new like several newlyweds and there we were kind of surrounded by couples that were newlyweds or or whatever and and it was kind of like you know these people are just like passionate i mean there was just like romances in the air and they're all like lovey dovey and kissy kissy and you know and they're all this and we're just like we just want to take a nap yo if we just need a nap but the, here's the cool thing is once you get your nap and you get some rest then you can rekindle the passion and the romance here and so why is it that Newlyweds can be so passionate, but then over the years, many couples lose their passion. And a lot of that's familiarity, maybe. Or maybe we just are tired and we don't take the time to rest like we should and rest and rekindle some of that passion and that romance. To look at verse 6, he says, Before the dawn and the night shadows flee. He's like, before the sun breaks, I'm going to go to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of incense all night long so i'm not gonna uh, take time here to explain this right here but you get the idea you can see his passion you can see the romance in this so how do we recover our passion how do we how do we have this kind of romance in our relationship because a lot of times we're like i'm not i'm not very romantic well here's the deal guys you need to initiate passion you need to initiate it because she's probably trying to do it on a regular basis and you're, and you're maybe missing like 70% of it. I don't know. Um, but, but if you would initiate the passion, it would go a long way. How do you do that? You compliment her. You open the door for her. That's not a lost art. Take her out. Just, just take her out. Date her. Continue to court your wife. Give her a flower. Buy her, you know, buy her some candy. Light some candles. And by the way, if you buy candy, buy her favorite, not yours. <laughs> you know, this initiates passion, these kind of things. Now, ladies, 
when when he is re, you know initiating passion, you need to respond with passion. And I'm saying this as 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 a husband, as a as a daddy, as a as a man. Um, I just want you to understand some, a few things about us. And if we are going to take a go out on a limb and initiate passion, which probably is out of most of our comfort zones to do some of these things, ladies, you need to respond with passion and with romance because his passion will fade if you always have a headache. Now there are times and occasions where that's a reality. Next week. We're going to get into conflict and, and that kind of stuff and how to how to <coughs> excuse me how to how to deal with conflict and how to fight fair, um, but 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 if you always have a headache, his passion is going to fade. See, here's how passion works. When I put my spouse's need before my own, that's how it works. So she gets what she needs and wants. He gets what he needs and wants, and there's mutual passion. This is romance. Now, great sex is also built on complete trust. And I want to spend a little more time here because this is something, one of the couple of things about great sex we don't really tend to focus a lot on and spend a lot of time really thinking about internalizing. Because think about, I mean, is there anything that puts you in a more intimate, exciting, and vulnerable place all at once than complete trust? Like, I'm going to completely trust this person. It's like it's like this idea of reckless love. I'm going to completely trust this person with my heart. I'm going to love them, and they might not love me back. I'm going to romance them. They might not receive the romance. They might not want the romance. But I'm going to do it because I want to be. And so that's what complete trust is. I'm going to completely trust this person. Great sex is built on complete trust. In verse 7, he says, All beautiful you are. There is no flaw in you. He's saying, baby, you're flawless here. Now, this is originally written in Hebrew, right? And the Hebrew word that translates here as flaw is the word mum. And in mum, it means flaw. It means to stain or a blemish. What he's doing is he's reassuring her. He's building up trust so she can completely trust him. Because remember, all the way back in chapter 1, what is she most insecure about? It's her skin from working out long hours in the sun, not taking care of her skin. She says, I'm, I look like these curtains over here. Don't even look at me. <laughs> She's insecure. And in his eyes, he says, you are flawless. There is no stain or blemish on your skin. I don't see it. So our culture sets us up for this when we think about the skin, the, the way we, the, especially women, and the way the way they look. Now, this works for guys too. And we miss that, but guys, we need to understand for our ladies. They often com- compare themselves, or they feel compared, to things that just aren't real. Because what we see on TV and movies and magazines, I think we all understand at this point that that's you know stuff is puffed up, it's shrunk down, there's airbrushed uh, everything. But even now, like Instagram. Like, like, you know, when you see everybody uses Instagram or pretty much everybody and there's like these filters and you put your, you know, you want to put your, your best photo out there. You want to re- represent your best self, but there's also a way that we put filters and we all do that. We know there's filters and yet, yet it gets in the mind a lot of times of your ladies, of our ladies, they compare themselves to this. So we need to understand that guys, we need to have, we need to build complete trust by not, by not comparing them okay now ladies the reality is for your man and and guys i'm going to bust us out with with some stuff here that that maybe you would rather keep secret but here's the thing no matter what things seem like he is most likely a little insecure when it comes to the bedroom it's true 
there's some, generally speaking, he is probably insecure about some aspect of what happens in the bedroom. Now, most of us realize that most men want more sex. And generally speaking, science has shown that guys are wired biologically for more frequency, generally speaking. But most women don't know the emotional side of sex for a man. Because when you reject him physically, it's also an emotional rejection. Like lack of physical intimacy for, for your husband is as devastating to him as sudden silence would be to you. Like imagine, ladies, like 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 he is just suddenly not speaking to you, and you want to know what's wrong, and he doesn't even answer. He doesn't. He's the, he doesn't pull the whole nothing or anything. He just he just gives you the silent treatment, and just just gets up and leaves, and you'd have no idea why. How emotionally wrecked would that make you? Well, <laughs> the same is true about rejection. Uh, physically, and emo, you know, physical rejection, sexual rejection, leads to emotional rejection. And again, we understand this. That there are times when you don't feel good and, and there, you really do have a headache and, 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 and there needs to be some time, but you need to have an understanding of how to build complete trust so that this doesn't become an issue that divides you. When you get married, your spouse becomes your only legitimate source of sexual fulfillment. Anyone else is, is illegitimate and anyone else is sin. That's, that's, if you, I'm, I'm again, talking to Christians, people who would say, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to have godly relationships and I want to have a godly marriage. When you get married, your spouse becomes your only legitimate source of sexual fulfillment. We must be open and build complete trust and talk about this. And next, great sex is sensuous. And this is another, it's kind of like the, the, the passionate one. It's like, well, yeah, uh, it should be. And, and, and the scripture affirms this for us. Luke, uh, look at, look at, uh, verse nine, 10 and 11. He says, you've stolen my heart with just a glance. Like you had me at hello, you know, sensuous. The, you, the senses are involved here. Your love is more pleasing than wine taste and the fragrant smell of any perfume it's sensuous your lips drip sweetness milk and honey are under your tongue it's very sensual it's, it's it engages all of the senses great sex is like this in ancient cultures milk and honey which he says are under your tongue milk and honey are symbols of fertility when we think of through even through the scripture, um, like like uh, when when the people the Hebrew people uh, had the Exodus from Egypt and were going to the promised land and they went into this promised land and came back and they said it's a land flowing with milk and honey it's fertile there's fertility and here he's saying you but you engaging all the senses he's saying this is what it's like with you and it's very very poetic and romantic and some of you guys may be thinking well i'm not a poet i mean i'm not romeo <laughs> and you may not be romeo but but your bride is your juliet <laughs> and she wants not just the physical side of lovemaking she wants and she needs the emotional side as well so get creative and do something unexpected and wives listen if you want your husband to do something thoughtful and unexpected for you you should do some things thoughtful and unexpected for him do the same it, it works together find the passion the sensuous side of the gift that god has given you in the covenant of your marriage now I'm going to bring this home with one that you will probably only find 
when you're looking at a godly relationship, you can find like complete trust and great sex in a marriage should be sensuous and passionate and, 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 uh, you know, sex, you know, great sex starts before the bedroom. You can find all that in, in, in kind of outside of a relationship with Christ, those kind of, those kind of things, if you don't have a great marriage. But the one thing that would be missing is this, and this great sex is holy. God created it. And when it go when it works according to God to God's plan, when we engage according to God's plan, it is holy. Now look what he says in verse twelve. He says, "You're a garden locked up, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain, a sealed fountain." See, it's their honeymoon, and he's saying, "You've saved yourself for me. You're a virgin." You know. A garden locked up, a secluded spring, a sealed fountain. You're a virgin, and you've given me this fantastic gift. Because she says, come into the garden. (laughs) He goes on in verse 13. You're an orchard of pomegranates, choice fruit, and the finest spices. So remember the vineyard is the body uh, in this this, uh, play, in this song of songs. And in the garden are come foxes. And he says, you know, foxes are sexual temptations. The foxes come in at night. They eat the buds before they can turn to fruit and t- take away the fruitfulness of the vineyard. And he says here, he's like, we've kept the foxes out. I mean, you you got the choice fruit in your pomegranates. The foxes haven't been able to do anything. We've kept the foxes out. We've kept the sexual temptations out. And now they're married and their true love fully blooms. And now is the time and now it is holy. And they, they do it. <laughs> and, and, and if you're not married, listen. If God blesses you with a spouse one day, you have a choice of what your honeymoon is going to be like. Either you will honor God with sexual purity and on your honeymoon celebrate one of the most holy and amazing moments of your life with this great gift that you give to your spouse and hopefully receive from your spouse. Or, or you can do what the culture seems to be telling you to do and hop in bed and out of bed with multiple people and, and, and have sex before you're married and then, then get married. And on your honeymoon, you know what? It's just business as usual. You have been, you've been engaging with this, uh, pretending you're married with others and doing what married people do with with with, uh, with so many different people, or even maybe it's just a few people. But now you do, and it's just like it's it's not as special because it is not, and it's definitely not holy because it's something that's been shared around. For followers of Christ, Ephesians 5.3 says to us, Don't allow love to turn into lust, setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity. So, because they kept themselves pure by realizing sex is meant to be kept holy, look at what she says in verse 16. Come into your garden, my love. Taste its finest fruit. She says, The fruit of my vineyard is all yours. And this is holy. Now, I understand... We all have a past. Your emotions, your your feelings, they may be all over the place right now. And for for some of us, there's in the past is there's abuse. I we understand that there's there's abuse in the past. There's sexual addictions, maybe in the past, and maybe even still a part of your current life. You may be confused or afraid or hurt or bitter. You may feel dirty. And none of these things, I promise you, none of these were the uh, are the goal of this message. None of these are the, the point of us talking sex, love, and devotion and, and taking the time to uh, talk about how sex is good and fun but also intended to be holy and reserved for the context of marriage. None of this is to bring shame upon you. But we understand in moments like this that that can be the reality of some of us. And I want you to hear this, that no matter what has happened, Jesus 
loves you and he wants to forgive you and he wants to bring healing to your life and the places that need healing. Don't, don't, don't shut down and shut out Jesus who is knocking on your the, the door of your heart right now. And he's saying, I want to forgive you. I want to give you a fresh start and I can. All you have to do is just turn to me and walk with me. He wants to bring healing to that, whether it's abuse or just your own actions and you feel broken. He can bring healing and he wants to bring healing right here and right now to that. Just ask him to. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm promising you that there is no bondage, no addiction, no shame too great for God. He loves you and he wants to help you and he wants to overcome these things if they are part of your experience. So next steps, whether you're married or if you are not married, a next step I would say is, is to commit yourself to sexual purity or recommit yourself to sexual purity. And if you'd say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good in that area. I mean, I'm, we're married or, or single folks who say I'm, I'm, I'm single. I'm definitely um, celibate and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm saving myself for marriage. That's wonderful. That's great. But take a moment to recommit yourself to sexual purity. Lord, we love you, and I thank you so much for the gift that you've given us of sex. And we've talked about this today, and it's not something that we really talk about very much in church and probably even less in our homes. And Lord, help us, because we need to get this right. Lord, you created it, and it is a, it is part of humanity. It's a part of being human. And Lord, you have uh, uh, created it for good. And Lord, we have taken it in so many ways and just made it, about us instead of about the good you created it to be. So, Lord, right now, Lord, I bring, I pray that you would bring healing where it's needed, that you would bring wholeness, recovery where it's needed, Lord. Uh, for those who may be struggling with the sexual addiction right now, God, I pray that you would help them right now in your strength and your power to break that hold and bust those bonds, Lord, and give them the freedom, Lord, that I know in their heart of hearts they so richly desire. And, Lord, I know you want it even more than they do. So, Lord, I pray for that healing right now. For marriages, Lord, who are right now, who will say this is a point of tension for us. I pray, Lord, that, that through your word, through your spirit, Lord, that there would be healing and there would be some some uh, restoration to take place where it needs to take place, Lord. Lord, we want to make a commitment today to keep ourselves pure and live according to the direction that you give us. So, Lord, put us in deeper contact with you through prayer and through reading of the scripture on our own to grow into this relationship even deeper. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awaken Church at awakenla.church or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AwakenChurchLA.